book of Romans, chapter 7. Grab the uh, copy of Scripture in front of you and open to page 1300. Uh, you definitely will need to follow along with us tonight. You uh, will That way you will not get tangled up in uh, some of the complexity of what the Apostle Paul has to say to us tonight, Romans chapter 7. We started several weeks ago uh, having the discussion. Uh, really, I just endeavored to, to talk with you about salvation, about assurance of salvation. We began uh, working our way through Romans chapter 6 and then we jumped last week into Romans chapter 7, and so tonight we'll look at the last portion of Romans 7. Uh, we have seen that the Lord uh, has brought salvation to us in such a way that we can know that we are saved, we can rest in that knowledge. And uh, one of the most crucial aspects of assurance of salvation is understanding the way in which God has saved us. And so many of you who have been with us over these uh, weeks, you've learned about uh, the components of salvation, justification. There'll be a test on this later, by the way. Sanctification and then, come on, glorification. Amen. Thank you. I'm impressed. And so, uh, because the, a lack of understanding in the, in the way that God saves us is uh, going to uh, trouble you and cause you problems uh, not only as you live your life, but as you study the Word of God. And you will find uh, texts of Scripture that you will, will appear to you to uh, maybe be a contradiction or something that doesn't make sense to you, that you don't understand. It will frustrate you. And so it's very important that uh, you understand that at the moment you uh, place your faith in Jesus Christ, you are justified. You are saved and, and declared righteous in the uh, heavenly court of law and your transgressions are erased. And at that moment begins this process of sanctification, which is really what we've been talking about. And here's the reason why this is so important, because some of you are sitting there tonight thinking, do I really need to know this? Yes. And here's why. Because... when people struggle with assurance of salvation... Their real struggle is transformation. Now, you may be a saved person and you may be in a, a dormant valley of life where you don't see transformation in your life and then you begin to question, Lord, am I even really saved? You may be somebody who is uh, sort of maybe somewhere along the line, you, you know, you had some experience with God and you did made some profession or had something as a teenager or a young person or whatever it is and then had all these years out in the wilderness and tried to figure out, you know, am I really saved or what is all this about? And, and the reason that that is such a struggle and such a problem is, is that God in salvation begins a process of transformation called sanctification. I know that's a lot of shuns. But this process is what gains our heart assurance. This understanding that we are transforming day by day. And it's at different rates. And we, we have, there are seasons of life where we're transforming in, in rapid pace. And there are seasons of life, unfortunately, uh, where things seem to be a little slower. And and we're not growing as we should. And oftentimes, uh, you can just uh, point to those things in your life that you are not doing or those things in your life that you are doing that are hindering your growth in the Lord and causing you all these problems. And so we've been dealing with all of these uh, different scenarios. And so now we get to this last part of uh, Romans chapter 7, which really is the, the illustration of the battle that we cannot lose. And so here's, here's what we said. Okay, let me make sure that we're all on the same page. We said last week that when you become a Christian, at the moment of justification, you do not move from warfare to peace. You move from a battle you could not win to a battle you cannot lose. Now, some of you may be scholarly enough to, to be able to think to yourself. There are passages of Scripture, for example, in Ephesians chapter 2, where Paul talks about Christ as our peace. 
And so if you know that passage of Scripture, for example, you might say to yourself, now, wait a minute. The Bible says that Christ is our peace, and that is correct. But what Paul is not saying in Ephesians chapter 2 is that you are at peace in your war with sin, but that you are in peace in your position in Christ. In other words, you're in peace in the sense that you're now in a fight that you cannot lose. Are you with me? Does that make sense? This, this, this I, I, I don't want to over get overly technical, but I, I really, I love you and I want you to understand this and I don't want you to struggle. And so you're at peace because you know that you cannot lose the war, but the war rages on nonetheless. And let me tell you something. No one in here doubts that. No one. Because every day of your life and every day of my life is a, is a war. It is a war. And so if you would say to yourself tonight a simple uh, thing like, self, I need to change. I need to change, but how do I go about that? How do I change? What happens when God gets a hold of you, you hear a message, there's a, there's a moment in your life where you realize things have got to change. I am not growing the way I need to grow. I don't have assurance or certainty the way I need to. I need to change. What do you do? Well, that's exactly what Paul is going to teach us tonight in these passages of Scripture. And now we said that Romans 7 is really divided into three parts. And we said that in verses 1 through 6, where we spent most of our time last week, we said that Paul illustrates in these first six verses really how a person goes from death to life, how a person goes from the battle that they cannot win to the battle that they cannot lose. It's the, it's the process of salvation or, or transformation. And then in 17 through 13, it illustrates the battle that we could not win, this, this, this battle of the old nature, the old self. So tonight we're going to look at really the battle of the believer, okay? The battle that we fight tonight as believers. And so all of us, the first thing we need to do is lay down all our self-righteousness tonight. And we all need to realize that it would be absolutely unprofitable for us to try to study this passage of Scripture without the Lord's help and without understanding that we are all in a battle and that we all need God's help and that every single moment of every single day we have, a, we have something within us that is prone and bent to sin. And so if we come in here proud and puffed up and super spiritual, then we're gonna, you're, you're going to have a big-time problem with what we're going to talk about tonight. So let's pray and ask God to help us and give us humble hearts before His Word. Father, we come before You tonight and we ask You, Lord, to use Your Word, God, as it's intended. And Father, that it would speak into the hearts of us tonight, God. Give us humility before You, Lord. Take away all of our self-righteousness, God. All of the things in us that want to declare and pronounce our goodness and our, our worthiness, Father. And Lord, remind us, God, that apart from You, we can do nothing. And so, Lord, we thank You for the great gift of Jesus Christ. And we thank You, Lord, for the transforming power of the Holy Spirit that resides within us. Now give us eyes to see and ears to hear what it is You have for us in this passage. In Jesus' name I pray. Amen. Let's read beginning in verse 14. It's a little wordy, but we're going to plow through this, and then we'll take it apart and understand it. Verse 14, the Apostle Paul says, For we know that the law is spiritual, but I am carnal, sold under sin. For what I am doing I do not understand. For what I will to do, that I do not practice, but what I hate, that I do. If then I do what I will not to do, I agree with the law that it's good, but... Now, it is no longer I who do it, but sin that dwells within me. For I know that in me, that is in my flesh, nothing good dwells. For to will is present with me, but how to perform what is good I do not find. For the good that I will to do, I do not do, but the evil I will not to do, that I practice." Now, if I do what I will not to do, it is no longer I who do it, but sin that dwells in me. I find then a law that evil is present with me, the one who wills to do good. For I delight in the law of God according to the inward man. 
But I see another law in my members warring against the law of my mind and bringing me into captivity that the law of sin which is in my members, O wretched man that I am, who will deliver me from this body of death? I thank God through Jesus Christ our Lord. So then, with the mind I myself serve the law of God, but with the flesh the law of sin. So let's just take this apart and ask God to grant us some understanding uh, into what it is the Apostle Paul is teaching us about our struggle and how it is we can change. Now, we've established a few things, and one is, uh, and we must make sure these are clear, or we will definitely be tangled up tonight. The old nature is dead. The Bible declares that at the moment of salvation, you're a new creation. The old is gone. Behold, all things are new. So in order for that to be... Uh, true, something had to die. This is not, there is no salvation by addition. You don't become a Christian because something was added to you. You become a Christian because one part of you died and it was replaced by another part that is beyond you. And that's the way we must understand uh, what Paul is teaching here. Now, I want to draw your attention to a couple of scriptures uh, quickly and then we'll spend the rest of our time right here in this text. So there's no slides. You just have to listen to me. In, Philipp- in Philippians 3, verse 20, listen closely to what Paul says. He says, For our citizenship is in heaven, from which we also eagerly wait for the Savior, the Lord Jesus Christ. Now listen to what he says in verse 21. Who will transform our lowly body that it may be conformed to His glorious body according to the working by which He is able even to subdue all things to Himself. Now, let me, let me get you to catch something here. Paul says that who will transform Jesus Christ, he waits eagerly for Jesus Christ, who will transform his or our lowly body. In other words, the new nature is not transformed in order to enter heaven. Are you with me? You see... At salvation, the old nature dies and the new nature comes in. The nature of God comes into your life. Now, when that happens, that nature lives forever. You see, because if it didn't, it wouldn't be everlasting life. Now, would it? You see, if that had to die, then it wouldn't be everlasting life. So that nature that that God puts in you lasts forever. What will be transformed is our lowly bodies. Okay? So now you see where Paul teaches that this new nature is incarcerated in the flesh. This is where the war comes in. At salvation, you get a new nature. The Spirit of God comes within us, but it's incarcerated in flesh. And so the new God nature is within me, but the old Tony, the flesh, still incarcerates it. Therefore, there's a battle. Okay, now there's no... There's no struggle, there's no doubt in the sense that the flesh can never overwhelm the Spirit of God. But there is a battle. There is a battle. And so that's when you read Galatians 5, verses 20 and 21, you begin to understand what this, this, this tension is between the flesh and the Spirit. And so the, the Bible just constantly reaffirms this, but I'm afraid that if we don't understand this and we might be reading through Philippians 3, we would just pass right past that and not even grasp the unbelievable reality of what God is saying. Because at glorification, the final culmination of salvation, when we arrive in heaven, when God snatches us up or we are instantly separated from this world and joined with Him in heaven, listen... That's, we get a, a new body. We, we will be as He is. We will be perfect. There will be no more suffering. There will be no more... But listen, the Spirit doesn't change. Okay? So I, these aren't things we think about every day, but they're very important. They're very important, and we ought to. And so we see that in Romans 7, uh, Paul, he starts the whole chapter by saying, Or do you not know, brethren... For I speak to those who know the law, that the law has dominion over a man as long as he lives. Okay, so apart from Christ, before Tony was saved, sin ruled me. I was a slave to sin. I, I, I was just born into sin and it just came natural to me. And then Paul uses this marriage illustration. Remember in verse 2, For a woman who has a husband is bound by the law to her husband as long as he lives. But if her husband dies, she is released from the law of her husband. In other words, there mu- once there's a death, I was married to sin, then there was a death. And now 
I have a new nature. I'm married to God through Christ, baptized through His death, forgiven, saved, and that cannot be broken. And because why? Because like I just explained to you, that never dies. You see, because if you didn't understand that, you would say, well, I understand what Paul's saying here, but what if the new na- when the new nature dies, then I'm separated from God again. See, that day never comes. It never dies. Okay, so old information, let's go to new information. Now we're all on the same page. The first truth I want us to see, beginning in verse 14, is the truth about us. Paul's going to give you, as he's teaching, this is, the, this is the struggle we face. If you say tonight, Brother Tony, I want to change. Good, I'm about to tell you. The first step is you need to know the truth about you. I need to know the truth about me. We're not going to go anywhere unless we know the truth about who we are. Verse 14. For we know that the law is spiritual, but I am carnal, sold under sin. Now, remember me. Uh, we'll get to that in a minute. Paul says that the law is spiritual. In other words, it is born of the spirit. It is spirit led. The law is good. It is Proper, it is right, but I am carnal. I have flesh. I'm sold under sin. And so the first thing we see is that we are carnal. We have a tendency to fall into this trap and start putting Christians into certain categories and we will fall into all sorts of problems when we do this. We think there are those who are super Christians. You know, your Sunday school teacher, they're some kind of super Christian. They know things that other people just can't know. And people who are in the ministry and people who are missionaries, they're like these super unbelievable Christians. And then we we put them on a pedestal. And then down here are all the people that we see on TV, the serial killers and the super psycho people. So we got super Christians and super psychos and the child molesters and the people on death row. And they're horrible. And then all the rest of the normal Christians are somewhere in the middle. You're not super psycho death row people, but you're not super spiritual missionary people. You're just somewhere in the middle. No, that is so wrong. Listen, it doesn't matter how old you are. It doesn't matter what sort of faculties or disabilities or capabilities you do or don't have or bring to the table. Listen, the opportunity for unbelievable sanctification is equal for you as it is equal for me. I've told you this story before many, many times. I got saved. I married super Christian. That, that's what happened. And so I found myself saved, brand new. Didn't even know there was an old New Testament. Married to super Christian. And so she knows everything. And so then the preacher gets up and he starts talking about, well, the man's got to leave the house and you're going to be the priest of the home. Right. No. I mean, that's never going to happen. I mean, I can't, unless I could live my life over again. I mean, how, how do I catch somebody who has lived her whole life in church? You know how? Sanctification, that's how. You see, it's available. The question is, do you want it? Because the opportunity is there. If you want to absolutely, positively grow at an unbelievable rate, the opportunity is there. You, you do simple things like wake up every day. Begin to read the Bible, find way, listen, don't, and you start reading the Bible and it's not making sense to you, then, then stop doing that and start a different way. Get some sort of a devotion, get some kind of a methodology, call me, I'll help you. Get, get, get a, get a good trustworthy sermon series and then listen as you study through the Bible and journal and go through some commentary. There, listen, you can do this if you want this. The question is, do you want this? You need to be involved in fellowship. You need to be involved in things where you begin to be around other people who are places you want to be. But I'm going to tell you this. I'll tell you the secret right now. I'll tell you exactly how God did what He did in my life. I can tell you that beyond a shadow of a doubt. It's simple. Shortly after I got saved, I started doing something I've never stopped doing. And I know you think I'm about to say some super spiritual thing, but I'm not. You know what it is? Teaching. I have been teaching since a year after I got saved. Now, granted, it was ugly in the beginning. And I started, I started teaching some junior high boys and it was bad. But let me explain something to you. When you teach, if you teach in the preschool, if you teach in the children's department, if you teach, when you teach, you grow exponentially. You know why your Sunday school teacher is so spiritual? Because they teach you. Because when you have to teach, you learn in a different way. And so if you have a hunger 
to grow in the Lord. The best thing you can do is find a place to begin to teach someone. Someone even at your level. Listen, those adults that are over there serving in Awana right now, they're growing. They're memorizing Scripture. Listen there, because here's you can't teach and not grow. It's impossible. It's the process of discipleship. Read John 17. And so I have always taught God's Word. And when you teach, you absolutely grow like wildfire. Now, there are other ways. There's other things you can do. But I'm just telling you, you find somebody to teach and you will absolutely start growing. You know, now there's a bunch of, uh, there's a lot of illustrations of that in this room. But there's a lot of men in this room that are involved in various Bible studies during the week. Now, let me tell you something. I, I haven't been to your Bible study. But I know who's growing like crazy in those Bible studies. You see, I go up to people who are in those Bible studies all the time and I say, hey, so-and-so's in your men's Bible study that meets during the week, aren't they? And they say, yeah. And I say, man, uh, who, are, are they doing any of the teaching? Yeah. I can tell. And when you start rotating that teaching around, let me tell you something. When it's your week to teach, <gasps> uh-oh. Suddenly there's this new thing in your spirit, isn't there? Like you wake up in the morning, used to you drag around and mope and have 14 different excuses for not doing something, but you got to teach. Uh-oh. See, John's laughing because he's like, oh, woe is me, because that's all he does is teach. See, you can't slough off when you're teaching. I mean, what if I just get up here tonight and go, well, I don't know. I mean, it says something in Romans chapter 7, but I'm not really sure. No, I mean, I've been up here all day. I mean, I stay up all... I mean, I've spent hours and hours and hours and hours pouring over all the words in Romans 7, praying God would show me, looking at the original language. You know why? Because i got to teach you. You find someone to teach and you will grow, grow. That's just extra. Amen. So teach people. Teach. So now, now here, so here's the question. How, how is it... This, this drives people crazy. How is it that the Apostle Paul is struggling? Look at verse 15. For what I am doing, I do not understand. For what I will to do, that I do not practice. But what I hate, that I do. Now, there's so many things I could say about this. I mean, first of all... Why is this in the Bible? I mean, we, we really need to get to the place where we're so thankful that the Bible is just so real. Because it, every, everything else in the world is so phony. But the Bible is reality. I mean, it's reality about whatever you want to know about. I mean, it, it absolutely tells it like it is. Now, here's the Apostle Paul saying, well, I struggle. Well, this drives people crazy. I'm telling you, there, there is such a, 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 a percentage of evangelical churches in the United States today that would absolutely never study this passage of Scripture right here. And if they did, they would do it wrongly, and the preacher would probably be fired by the time he was done. Because people just don't want to hear this. Here's the Apostle Paul. Here's the greatest Christian that ever lived. And he's just struggling. And do you know what people try to do? They try to bend this around and say, you know what? This is Paul speaking about his pre-conversion life. No, it isn't. It's not. But I'm telling you, that's what they're going to try to tell you. You'll hear people talking about this text and that's what they'll say. I mean, I read commentaries of people who try to say this. But remember last week when I was just throwing something out about tense and reading Paul? And remember when I said in, in verses 1 through 13 is in the past tense as God talks about conversion and He talks about the old way, but then the tense changes in verse 14 to the present tense. You know why? So that you don't get confused that he might, you might think that he's talking about the old Paul. No, he's talking present tense now. He struggles. And that ought to not make you uncomfortable. That ought to make you glad. That ought to make you feel good. That ought to make you go, man, whew, I'm not alone. You ought to take refuge in that and say, boy, I tell you what, I, I mean, how, how did we get to a Christianity where people want to walk around and act like they got it all together and never make mistakes? I mean, seriously, what Bible are they using? Here's the greatest Christian who ever lived. He said, look, I'm just going to tell you, I just do what I hate. And that ought to not make you uncomfortable. That ought to make you grateful and thankful. Because you know what the, the mark of, of true spirituality is? 
I mean, people who really are walking with the Lord, they're embracing the truth about who they really are. You see, because you, you can't walk with God. It is impossible to walk with God and be puffed up and think you're great. It just is impossible. There's just no way that's going to work. I mean, this is, this is what this is teaching us, is that Paul's coming along saying, look, I mean, I'm struggling. I'm just going to share my heart with you right now. I'm struggling. That's what Paul's saying. And when I read this, I'm like, thank you, Lord. Because you know what? If, if I didn't, if, if Romans 7 wasn't here, and Ephesians and Galatians and Samaria's and Colossians, I might not know if I was saved or not. But thank God I do now. Because Paul struggles. You see, when you admit that in the flesh, you know, and, and the other thing is, you know, this, 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 this self-righteous, condemning attitude that we have towards those who are just hideous, wicked, horrible, horrible sinners. Where does that come from? Because here, here's what I'm seeing. Man, I could so do that. I mean, I could so be that. I mean, I could be that. You, you, could, you could wake up one morning and my face could be on the front page of the paper. Don't ever doubt it. Could, it could happen. It could happen. Apart from the grace of God, I, I mean, I'm capable of terrible things. You, you got to understand that. That you are too. That unregenerate humanity is wicked. I mean, there's nothing pretty about it. And, and that's who we are. And the proof is that the Apostle Paul is doing what he doesn't want to do. He's doing what he hates. Now, if that's not enough proof for you, I, I, there's nothing I can say that will convince you. Because you'll never know of, hear of, bump into, read anything by anyone who walked closer with the Lord than the Apostle Paul. And he's telling you that, look, he struggles. And so I'm telling you the mark of spirituality is embracing the depravity of our humanity and the gloriousness of our divinity, of the, of the part of God that is within us. Here's what C.S. Lewis said about this very uh, text. He said, if you were to ask Hitler if he was a bad man, he would say, no. He went on to say, if you were to ask the same question to Abraham Lincoln, he would say, oh, am I ever. You see the difference? The worst thing you and I can do is walk around with this puffed up attitude that, that we don't struggle. No, no. It's a war we cannot lose. But it's a war. And we're in it together. And we battle. And that ought to end all this foolishness about you know, us being able to uh, reach some kind of earthly perfection or, or to, you know, super spiritual people who don't struggle with sin and all these other things that really are just modern-day Pelagianism. Pelagius was, was just uh, condemned as a heretic in about 410 A.D., and he was a teacher who came out from Rome, and basically here's what he taught. He taught that men, that, that men and women were born good and that society corrupted us. And here's how he justified it. Watch how wonderful this sounds. Because, you know, you're going to say, Oh, I wish that was true. Here's what he said. He came along and said, Now, the Bible proves this point because God calls us to be good. And why would God call us to be something that we couldn't be? That w and you know what? People followed him. And they believed him. And you know what? Pelagianism lives on today. That people think, Well, you know, it must be true. There must be goodness in me because God calls me to do all these things. No! No, 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 no. God called you to, to put the law in front of you so that it would just crush you. Not so that you could somehow rise up goodness in you to be... No, no, He put the law there to show you that you, there's no hope apart from Him. Remember when I said, well, I said, well, why would God give us a, a law that's impossible for us to follow? He didn't. He gave us a law that's impossible for us to follow apart from Him which is really the most loving thing you could do. Because what if He wouldn't give us the law? What if He just left us here? Like Romans 1 says, just condemned to our own desires and our own ways. But He didn't do that. He put the law out there and then He said, now, there you go, have at it. To show you how glorious He is. To say, because when you... How did, how did Luke chapter 6 begin? The very first thing we started in this whole radical series. Blessed are the poor. That's the first beatitude. Why? 
Because that's where you start. You, it's not blessed are the proud, blessed are the good, blessed are the, the, the strong. No, the weak, bankrupt sinner, that's where you begin. And it's just up from there. I mean, this is good news. This is really good news. It's good. And it just reminds us over and over of how God loves us. Look at verse 16 and 17. So we, we see the truth about us and then the proof in verse 15. And then in 16 and 17, we get this reason. Here's what Paul says. If then I do what I will not to do, I agree with the law that it is good. But now it is no longer I that do it, but sin that dwells within me. Huh. Now, it almost sounds like Paul's kind of passing the buck here. Paul's saying, hey, it's not my fault. It's sin. It's sin within me. It's kind of like the devil made me do it. I, it's, I didn't do it. I mean, I'm out of it. No. Listen, the, it, 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 it really, it reads, but it's sin that indwells me, that dwells within me. In other words, there's flesh that's incarcerating the new man. And there's this battle. And when I do... What I ought not do, it is the flesh. It is, it is me giving in to the flesh. It is me giving, giving authority to the flesh that it doesn't have. Giving power to the flesh that it doesn't have. You see, you, you don't, something, something doesn't have to have authority in order to assume the authority. Is that not right? In other words, do you ever, parents, I mean, let me just give you a simple illustration. You're driving down the road, it's after church, and you're hungry. Right? I mean, when you leave church, you're, unless there's, ribs galore down there. You're hungry. And so you're ready to eat, right? Brother Lee is hungry when he's leaving church. So he gets in the car and he's got a whole bunch of youngins everywhere. Well, let's pretend they're not all driving now. But sorry, brother, to remind you of that. But anyway, and he's paying all the gas for everybody. But anyway, they're going home. And so he's got all the kids back there. And, and here's the discussion. Where are we going? And one wants to go here and one wants to go there. And I mean, I only got two kids and it's World War Six. I mean, they can't agree. When it comes to food, we just go crazy. But here's what, here's what Lee can do. Now, Lee is in authority. But Lee can say to one of his kids, he can say, well, Asa, you choose. You see, he can choose to give Asa the authority to pick where they're going to eat. I'm sure that's happened before. He can say, Marissa, you choose. Now, you see, they don't have authority. That doesn't make Asa the boss of the family. That just means that the one who has authority can choose to give authority. So your flesh has no authority, but you can choose to give it. See, that's what happens. See, temptation comes along and you can choose to say, well, sin? Okay, go ahead. And then you got problems. You see? But it's not, it's not because the sin somehow, you know, saves up strength and then overwhelms the spirit listen i mean it's i don't even know how to describe it it's 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 it it's utterly not even a battle that i can find words to describe to you you know what i mean it's like you trying to to punt the earth across the solar system it's just not going to happen okay that's what it is to have, what what sin is like against the spirit but you can give it authority you can give it power. You can give it leverage in your life. You can do that. And when you do, amen. You see, that that's what we need. We need to be real. Yeah. We need to all say, ooh, that's me. I've been there. I've done that. I mean, because it's a constant battle. And so there's the reason that this happens. Paul says in Ephesians 2, he says, and you... He made alive. So he's talking about believers. He says, He made alive who were dead in trespasses and sin. In other words, you've been made alive now. And now that you've been made alive, there's a new battle. But the, what's been made alive will live on forever. It will never die. It is life eternal. All right, let's get to the practical part. Verse 18 through 20. Verse 18 starts this way. Paul says, For I know that in me, that is in my flesh, nothing good dwells. For to will is present with me, but how to perform what is good I do not find. For the good that I will to do I do not do, but the evil that I will not to do that I practice. Now if I do what I will not to do, it is no longer I who do it, but sin that dwells within me. You notice he's kind of circling back around, reminding us, going, that the Spirit of God is, is, is leading Paul, and, and the Spirit of God's going, Paul, they're not going to get this. 
So, so say it another way. Help them. Help them, Paul. And so here we go again. He gives us these same illustrations, these same phraseologies so we would understand this. So here's what I want you to see in 18 through 20. I want you to see that, because we've already seen the truth about us, but let's just look for a moment about the truth about willpower. Because I just want to slay a dragon tonight. I just want to kill this thing and have a funeral, okay? Because this, this crazy self help mentality that keeps creeping into the church is insanity. The worst thing you can possibly do to just put the brakes on sanctification is to just grit up your teeth and clench up your fists and go, I'm just gonna, I'm just gonna get through this. I'm just gonna try harder. I'm just gonna strain into. Let me tell you something. You want to go zero fast? Go in your own power and watch what happens. It ain't happening. That's not how this works. This is not the way the natural tendency is to think. And that's why it's so important for us to understand this. Effort and willpower, it's a fraud. It's a trick. It's a trap. Spirit power. Listen, walking in the Spirit, you will accomplish amazing, unbelievable things. Walking in the flesh, you're not getting anywhere. You're just going in circles. It's like one of your toes is nailed to the floor. You're just going around in circles. You can't get anywhere. I don't even know where that came from. So anyway, <laughs> somewhere when I was eight, there was, I used to say that or something. I don't know. Romans 9, 16. Here's what Paul says in Romans 9. So then, it is not of him who wills, nor of him who runs or strives, but of God who shows mercy. You see, that's how you're gonna, that's how you're gonna move forward. That's how you're gonna get there. Now, am I saying you just lay around on the couch in the spirit and you're gonna grow? No, that's not what I'm saying. But here's what I am saying. You can't just muster up strength in you and start barreling towards godliness and you're just going to hit a brick wall because it just won't work. The Spirit of God doesn't operate that way. The, the, spirit, the new nature in a saved person cannot and will not. It cannot. It's impossible. And it will not because it's totally ridiculous. It's not going to draw on strength of the flesh. You see, you see that? That doesn't even make sense. But we, we try to do that, don't we? Oh, yeah, I'm going to show you. We, we try to do that. There's this thing in us that wants to just, you know, this human striving. Galatians 3, Paul says this. Are you so foolish? Now, that's a great way to start, start out a little sentence, isn't it? Say to your kids, now, are you so foolish? Immediately, they're like, this ain't going to go good. Paul says, are you so foolish, having begun in the Spirit, that you now you are now being made perfect by the flesh? See, in other words, that's ridiculous. That's the dumbest thing I ever heard, Paul says. Boy, that's what we try to do. See, we get, we get ourselves tangled up and we want to go. We want to try to succeed. We want to, we want to get there. And so here's what happens. We hit the wall. The flesh devastates us. We give authority to the flesh. The flesh takes advantage and we're hurt. And we're wounded and we're sorry and we're ashamed and we're embarrassed and we're down. And it's ugly and it hurts. And it's different, see, because when you were lost, you didn't have that problem. You didn't have that problem. But, but, but now the redeemed man feels pain from sin. David said, my bones ache within me. Okay, so here's what happens. You're down there. You're in that place. And well, what do you do? You decide you're going to pick yourself up. You're going to press forward. You're going to make this happen. And so whatever it is that, that got you there, you know, maybe there was some, who knows, there's some lust issue or some trust issue or some, you know, some uh, immoral act at work maybe or some embezzlement or some greed issue or some coveting issue, whatever it is. And so you just decide, well, I'm just not going to do that anymore. I'm not going to let myself do that. And so you start just walking like, I'm not, I'm not, I'm not, I'm not, I'm not, I'm not, I'm not. And everything that, that would come around that might remind me of that, I just put on my blinders. I go, no, I'm not going to do that. I'm not going to do that. I'm not going to do that. And you know what? Some people are really strong. 
Some people can actually excel at that for a while. Pharisees were great at this. They bred themselves for this. And so they were just, they were just, I'm going to do it, I'm going to do it, I'm going to do it, I'm going to do it. But here's what happens. When that happens, you'll succeed for a little while. Some of you, some of you, there's just no hope. I mean, it's just not. I mean, you, you just, you just crumble right over again. Instantly. But then there's some, you know, just got a real Pharisee tendency. And you can just make it for a little while. So here's what we do. When we start going and we start, we're successful for a short time, in that time that we're successful, in those days, weeks, even months, sometimes even possibly years. I mean, if you're, if you're old enough or if you've reached a certain place in your life, ooh, you can be a Pharisee for a long time. See, because you're married and you stay at home all the time and you know, you don't, you live in a little bubble and so there's not a lot of temptation for you and you don't, you know, you, the only people you ever talk to, you're related to. And so, you know, and so, you know, for you, you can, you can follow the Ten Commandments pretty good. You don't well, watch TV. You don't have any problems. So you can go a while. But let me tell you what's going to happen. First thing that's going to happen is self-righteousness is going to begin to creep up inside of you because you're doing good. And then you start thinking, I'm doing good. Because whenever you're doing good, I'm telling you right now, when you look in the mirror, you're like, I'm doing good. And when you say, I'm doing good, that's when trouble starts. Because here's what happens. Soon as you say, I'm doing good, here's the next clue that always pops out. But they're doing bad. Man, I mean, the Pharisee judges in such a self-righteous way that I'm doing good and why can't anybody else do as good as me? And here's what happens. Here's why this is so important. Because when you strive in your own flesh, you have no tolerance for people who struggle. Meaning, if you knew the Apostle Paul, you'd criticize him. That's what it is. You'd say, oh, that Paul, he's, he's, not, he's not a good Christian. He's not good as I am. He struggles. I mean, who would write? I would never write that. I would say, man, you just, you try. Don't, don't go there. Don't think about that. Don't do that. Don't do this. Don't do that. Listen to me. I, I want you to try something tomorrow. I want you to try to run away from your flesh. I want you to see how good that works. I want you to take off running just as fast as you can and leave it in the dust. I mean, you can't. You're not going to get away from it. It's haunting you, man. It's it, The war is with you wherever you go. And so what I'm trying to get you to see here is that human willpower is a failure. It's a fraud. It can work for a time, but it's eventually going to fail miserably. You're going to crash again. And so, therefore, we all know people who are in this sort of, uh, you know, this caravan of struggling and it's up and then crash and it's up and then crash and it's up and then crash and they go on and on and on and on and they listen to a sermon like this and they go i just absolutely want to smash my head into a brick wall because i am just in the cycle of up and struggling trying struggling trying and this thing just keeps beating me up and then you come along and say that i'm giving it authority and then i'm no here's what i'm telling you you're trying in your own strength you're, you're, you're gritting your teeth and you're pushing forward. Let me explain to you what Paul is telling you and telling me. He's saying, I struggle. And so will you. And it's okay to struggle. It's human to be tempted. But when you are to constantly be moving in the right direction, to make sure that you're on the bus of sanctification as you're going, that make sure that as you struggle, as you're tempted, as you sometimes fall and sometimes get up, that you are on this process, in this process of sanctification. You have assurance in your salvation. You know that God is conforming you little by... Sometimes it's ever so little, but you're growing in your likeness to Christ. That's what Paul is saying. And he's saying when you fall and when you struggle, you don't lay on the couch and eat spirit-filled Twinkies. That's not going to help you. But what you do is you don't try in your own strength. And so you come to God in humility. You come to God in weakness. What, what, what does the Bible say? It's in your weakness that what? God's strength is made 
That's right. I mean, you, you don't come in strength. See, that's step one. You come weak. What did I say the first thing you have to do is you got to know the truth about who? That's the first step. If you don't know the truth about you, you're doomed right off the bat. Nothing else I say will work for you because you must come in humility. You must come poor in spirit. You must come broken. You must come recognizing, God, I can't do this. If I could do this, I already would have done this. I can't. I'm struggling. I'm hurting. I need you to help me, Lord. I need you to help me. If I'm going to get out of this, it's going to be you. If I'm going to see through this, it's going to be you. If anything good happens to me, it's going to be you. Now, I know that I'm saved, and I know this is a battle I cannot lose. I know that you have justified me. Therefore, whatever happens from here forward, I'm going to spend eternity with you. But God, today is a bad day, so I'm coming to you and you alone. I'm saying, God, I need you to help me. And when you just begin the process that way, the floodgates of blessing and power are open to you and me. And then we begin to walk in the Spirit. We begin to sit quietly and know that He's God. We begin to, to pray and say, God, don't, don't, just, don't just grab your Bible and flip it open. How rude. You know what that's like? That's like coming over to my house, just sitting down and start eating. That's just rude. Here's what you do. You get your Bible and you lay it down in front of you and you say, God, before I ever open it, I say, God, will you, will you speak to me? Will you talk to me? Will you show me what I need to know in this Scripture? Because I can't, I can't learn this without you. I can't see this without you. And then open your Bible and begin to read. That's a, you see how different that is? Than just presuming upon God, just coming up. Hey, you know, I'm just gonna, I'm gonna get through this. There's a verse somewhere about this. Let me find that verse and then read that verse and go, that's it right there. I'm gonna beat this. You're doomed. You're doomed. Paul struggles. You struggle. I struggle. Don't put any man on a pedestal. We all struggle. Every single human being is who is saved is the Spirit of God incarcerated by flesh that is capable of unspeakable evil. And if we know that, listen, great things can happen. So then the, the third thing we're going to see is the truth about conversion. Look at verse 21, 22, and 23. This is my favorite part. Paul says, I, I find then a law that evil or a principle, I find this principle, this law, this, this, uh, this, this legal declaration is really what that word means so that you understand we're not talking about the Mosaic law here. That evil is present with me the one who wills to do good, verse 22, For I delight in the law of God according to the inward man, but I see another law in my members, or another principle playing out in my members, warring against the law of my mind and bringing me into captivity to the law of sin, which is in my members. It's in my flesh. It's not in my inward man. Now look at verse 22. Very important. Paul says, I delight. I delight in the law of God according to my inward man. Now, now listen. Th this is good. You see, the way you know that this couldn't possibly be a pre-conversion Paul speaking is that it is utterly impossible for a lost person to delight in a law that they have ever no hope of achieving and that merely just crushes them in failure. But when you are converted, you then can say, I delight. This word delight, only place in the Bible it's found. There's not another place in the entire Scripture where this word, sunedumai, it is only found here. This word means that the, the depths of my heart, from the bottom of my heart, is, is the joy that I feel in the law of God according to my inward man. Now, that's what's going on inside of me. See, now you begin to understand why there are times in your life where you want 
You, you want to do good and you want to read the Bible and you want to grow in the Lord and you want these things you, you hear. But, but then you, the outward man, you see another law in your members and in your flesh and it's working contrary. It's warring against this inward man who wants to delight in the Word of God. And that's where you must understand who has authority. Because let me tell you something. If the Stewart family just rolls up and down the highway and nobody knows who's in authority, there's going to be chaos now, isn't there? And what do you think is going to happen in your life and my life? If I'm in a war, but I don't know who has authority. I don't know who holds the power. I don't know that there's one side of this war that has weapons, that has nuclear bombs, and the other side is over there with two twigs going, come on, I got this. See, if you don't know that, then what are you going to do? But when you understand who you are in Christ, when you understand that in conversion and when you delight in your heart in the law of God and when suddenly you begin to desire things that you didn't desire, that's God working in you. That doesn't happen naturally. You don't just suddenly wake up one morning and want want good. You don't want godly things. You want selfish things naturally. That's what you want. You want money, power, possessions. You want fame. You want people to look at you and think good of you. That's what you naturally want. You don't wake up and just go, I think I want to serve somebody today. I think I want to give away what I've worked for. I think I want to be a part of a community where we all just work together and share. That's not normal. But the Spirit of God changes you. That's why we're a new creation. So Paul's not saying that before Christ... I was evil and wicked, and now I don't struggle with sin anymore. That's not at all what he's saying. He's saying, in conversion, that I can remember that in Christ I was evil and wicked. But now, because of what Christ has accomplished in me, I don't have to fear. I don't have to fret. But I'm still going to fall sometimes. But the difference is delight. Because now I delight in the law. Now I, now I look at the Bible and I say, thank you, God, for telling me that. Well, I mean, how, how would you feel this morning? I know it's night. How would you feel this morning if you were here and you were lost? Maybe somebody in this room was lost and they were here this morning. And I'm telling you that the God of the universe is telling us in Luke chapter 6 that there is a storm coming that is utterly and completely going to wipe you out. Is that going to make you happy? Are you going to go tiptoed through the tulips all the way home after hearing that? I mean, are you going to say, praise the Lord, I'm going to just, great is going to be my fall, isn't it? Amen. No. But if you're saved, you go... Hallelujah, what a loving God to warn us about what's ahead. To give us assurance that we won't fall when the storm hits. You see the difference? You see, in conversion, what used to haunt you, what used to plague you, what you used to resist and hate and not want to think about, not want to look at, and that when you talk to people about Christ who don't know Him and are apart from Him, and listen, that's why they give you that look. Because it's like, man, don't, don't talk about that to me. That hurts. It's painful. But now it's like, thank you, Lord. Because I'm saved. And that's the illustration Paul's given us about creation here. Before he hated the law. He says the law aroused sin in him. It made him worse. But now he delights in it. Man, I I just... I want to serve the Lord around people who delight in the law of God. Who who just... Who aren't... Just... Who, who, who don't shun it or who don't run from it, but just embrace it and say, God, thank you. I, I want to understand. I want to know. I want to I grow together. And then take what we know and take what we understand. And then in compassion and humility, we take it to people who don't know so that we can teach them, we can explain to them, we can share with them. God loves you. And He's got an amazing plan for you. And we can understand that, listen, the storm is coming. It's coming. It's coming for every single person that, that I know and every person that you know that's apart from Christ. And when it comes, there's only one possible outcome. The ruin of that house is great. There's no second chance. So why do we need to be compelled to action? Shouldn't the reality 
before us just compel us? Shouldn't the reality of who we are compel us? We can't lose this battle. But make no mistake, it's a battle for you and for me, for all of us. It is a battle. And then lastly, we see the truth about the gospel. Paul says, O wretched man that I am. So he reminds, he just gives us a whole thing all encapsulated in one quick couple statements. The truth about me, Paul says, O wretched man that I am. The truth about willpower, look at what Paul says. Who will deliver me from this body of death? You see that? Isn't that good? Paul, I mean, he, he is, man. I mean, this is good stuff. He doesn't go, oh, oh, wretched man that I am, I think I'm going to handle this. He said, no, the truth about me is I'm wretched. The truth about willpower is it's a, it's a lie. Who? Because it's not me. Who is going to deliver me? Who is going to rescue me? Who is going to help me from this body? See, it's not the inner man. The body of death. Who's going to rescue me? Let me tell you, thanks be to God through Jesus Christ our Lord. That's the truth about conversion. That's what Paul is teaching in Romans chapter 7. Christians, rejoice tonight. Rise up against the, the, the flesh that seeks to steal your joy and control your life and ruin your witness and thwart your sanctification. Don't give authority to something that has no right, has no power, and will only hurt you. The Spirit within the saved, the Spirit that resides within you, will crush the flesh as we walk in the power that it is. There's victory in Jesus. We don't just sing it because we always have, because it's true. And so we're in a war tonight. We're in a war tomorrow. But let me tell you something. The end has already been declared. There's no, no reason to worry, no reason to fret. You can lay your head down and say, whatever may come, whatever circumstances, whatever situation, I cannot lose. I cannot lose this battle. Because I, I need not even fight it. Because the one that's within me has crushed sin, has defeated death, came to this, this earth and did the unthinkable. And let me tell you something, when that stone rolled away, when it, when it rolled away and the, and the power and the glory shone out from in there. And let me tell you, when Jesus came and He rose from this earth and He went back to His rightful place in heaven in that moment, let me tell you, there's never any doubt. You don't need to fret and worry. You lay your head down at night and say, that's it. It's done. I will be with you. Bring whatever may come in this earth. But I will not lose because I cannot lose. Because you are powerful and mighty and good. That's who we are. That's who you are if you're saved tonight. Walk in that power. Embrace the process of sanctification. Let God take hold of your life and just carry you to what He has in store. Who knows what God could do with this room full of people? Who knows? What potential lies right here if we just surrender and say, God, take us. Let's stand, bow our heads, and close our eyes. Father, we just thank You for Your Word, Lord. We're humbled before it, and God, we, we pray, Lord, that even now, Lord, You would help us. Because all of us, Lord, we struggle. We all struggle. There's not one righteous here, no, not one. So, Lord, together... Apart from You, we're nothing but a room full of failures. But God, in You, in You, Lord, all things are possible. Simple phrases that we say all the time take whole new meaning in reality of what You've done in salvation. So, Father, I pray for my brothers and sisters here tonight. 
I pray, God, that we would not grow weary in the battle that rages within us, Lord. I pray, Father, that we would rejoice in the newness of life that we've received in the Spirit of God. And, Lord, that we would just hate the flesh. God, when we fall and when we stumble, Lord, I pray that we would, before we rose up against it, Lord, we'd kneel down before you. And we'd come in humility and ask you, Lord, to help us, to show us, to teach us. That we'd surrender all of our ideas and all of our methodologies and all the things that we've figured out or all the things that the world tries to tell us are going to solve our problems. And then we'd humbly approach your word and say, God, will you help me to delight in the law of the Lord? Will you show me, God, the pathway to victory? Father, there are some here, Lord, that you're calling unto yourself. That the trumpet of salvation is calling for them, Lord. Father, I pray, Lord, that they would respond tonight. I pray, Father, that they would come and receive the assurance of the the good, gracious, loving God that you are, that only you can give. Father, I pray for my brothers and sisters who maybe they're in a season of life where very little has been happening in them spiritually. And they know something needs to change, but they're not sure what. Father, will you you work in their hearts right now? Will you draw them unto you, Lord? And God, will you encourage them in your spirit, Lord? God, do the work we ask you, please, in this time that only you could do. We want to give you the glory. We want to give you all the praise. In Jesus' name.